0: man good morning. how's everybody? Good. This is like the ideal service time, isn't it? You, you get out early enough. you still got your full day. tell you what that eight o'clock service though if you check that out um man you you know how early you get out. You have the whole day won't be quite so full um at the eight or at the nine thirty so hey, it's good to see you, all of you. My name's Kent. if I don't know you um I've been, I served as a, I, this is always tricky for me to say, I'm an elder, I'm, we're five years, but um, Pat Knight and I, we uh, we rolled off kind of as, um, I don't know, sabbatical, something like that for a year, and uh, back in September, and so I believe I'll roll back on, let's see how things go, I don't know, um, hey, if you've got your Bible, we're going to look in Acts chapter 21, by the way, Ryan is here, he's serving in kids over there, he's doing a great job, I love hearing that, what else would you expect? Um, so he's over there teaching the kids, and he'll probably step in some some point, and hopefully my mic will stay on, last service it didn't stay on, and I didn't even notice, I was so into it, I don't know, um, but anyway, Acts 21 is where we're looking, if you've not been here, um, you should have, uh, because... Acts, and you should come to church on Sunday, right? Uh, I love the book of Acts. Man, it's, I've never said, like, I don't think I've ever said this. This is my favorite book, but it, it's, uh, it's up there because it's an ongoing story of the, the early church and how the message of the gospel. We're here because of what happened in Acts. We're here gathering this morning because of what the risks that uh, believers took back then to make much of Jesus, to plant churches around the world. And the primary guy who did that was Paul, and we see his story throughout. This is what we're going to look at today is in the third missionary journey, and um, he's wrapping it up, and um, just the story and the way that Luke tells it is so detailed. It's amazing how detailed he gets, even when we look here in just a minute, uh, just how he gives us tons of details about the story of how Paul did what he did, and yet... um, He did it with the help of so many people who who were just followers of Jesus who said they're going to commit it all. They didn't just pray some prayer to get out of hell. They committed their life to him to say, I'm going to give my life to make much of Jesus. And it cost them something, which is something I'll probably talk about here here in just a few minutes. But the story that where we left off last week, I believe I was here. I hope you were. Um, But Paul in chapter 20, he is going to Jerusalem. He's heading off to Jerusalem. He's trying to get there by Pentecost and so he's in a hurry. And so he's coming from, I don't even think I, I didn't show the map last hour. I forgot. I'm going to show the map real quick. Do we have the map? Can we show the map of where he, where he, where he currently is in the story? So last week, you see Miletus right there in the center? That's where he met with, he called for the, the elders from Ephesus to come and meet him because he's got to be in a hurry. And in that meeting, it's very clear his relationship with them was very deep because at the end of it, Man, he has a hard time just getting away from them because it's so emotional for them. He has to tear himself away from them. And then this is where we are. He's going to head down to, to coast to Rhodes, and all the way down to Tyre to Caesarea is where we're going to end today. That's the story. But he meets with them. And Miletus says, I've got to get to Jerusalem. They don't want him to go, along with a bunch of other people. But Paul, because we'll see here in just a minute, he is so compelled and so constrained, as it says in ESV, constrained. The NIV says compelled by the Spirit that I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to get there. And so that's where we are in the story. Paul has along the way, I've been thinking about this uh, since yesterday, this song. He He has to make the decision, should I stay or should I go now? You know the song It's from The Clash? Um, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, I don't need to sing. Um, But he's got that decision. Should he stay or should he go? Let me ask you this question. You ever had decisions in your life, surely if you've lived any time at all, where you didn't know what to do? You had two good options. I mean, it's a good option for me to go here or I could go here. Or it it could be any number of things, just decisions where you get like, I need to know what to do. And I remember back in 2014, by the way, this church, we're celebrating on Easter Sunday 10 years, this church. And about the same time this church was starting, we were in the middle of a struggle trying to figure out what God wanted for us. And I was at a church in McKinney, uh, a good friend, really dear friend of mine, uh, became more and more so through the years. He called me, he said, "Uh, I'm leaving and we're going to plant a church in Phoenix. And I remember... Immediately, I remember I said, I was in my bathroom. I remember where this conversation happened. I'm on the phone, standing there in front of the sink, and he said, I'm going to Phoenix to plant. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm so jealous. And he just said, well, maybe you pray about it. I said, well, maybe I will. And um, so it's a long, long story. I'm going to tell the whole thing, obviously. I can, Y'all know I can talk for a little bit. So <clears throat> um, I prayed about it. We had started the ministry, the 25 Project. And I was, um, still am, currently I think I am, still the leader of that, and um, we had a small staff growing, and uh, that was my first calling, but I felt the call, and God made it so clear we were supposed to go to Arizona, knew it. We planned on just committing a year to help that church plant get going, we weren't going to live there forever, so we rented our house, some of you all know the Stout family and Melissa, and so I am, where we office right now, I was in the same exact place I park every day. And I'm on the phone with, with Kent, my friend, and he says, um, man, I got to know, are you, are you going rent to rent us the house or not? Are you going or not? And I remember God had already said so clearly to me and to Tammy that we were supposed to go. But I was so reluctant. In that moment, he's like, I got to know, man. He's like, dude, I got to know. And I said, all right, we're going so you can have our house. And so we... Reluctantly, at that moment, we left and went to Arizona. And you know what I did not expect was that we would fall in love with it and fall in love with the people and the work and to see a church be, just grow from the, from the ground up and to see God work and see him move in the lives of people. For the most part, it's not the Bible Belt. They don't know Jesus there. Most of them had never even been in church, the people we talked to. And then now that church, I'm going to be there in April to celebrate their 10 years and to see what, what God did. But then at the end of the year, when I said we're going to commit a year, and I was flying back and forth to here to our ministry because you know, I need to be here as well. I didn't want to come back. And it was a decision. I knew Chris, my friend, was like, I need you here. We need you here. Please don't go. And I said, but I feel like God's told me to go back. And I remember sitting in my office in my house and going, God, if you'll just tell me what you want, I'll do it. And we finally, one of the most frustrating times of my life. was going, God, what do you want? I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me. It was such a struggle, and it came down to God just said, "I called you to be a part of this ministry. You've helped this church. You need to go back." And I remember when we came back home, the Stouts had moved out and moved into an empty house. I walked into our bathroom, into our garage, into the back door, and I was standing right as I shut the door. I said these words out loud. No one else was there, and I said, "What am I doing here? What am I doing here?" Because I didn't want to be here. I just. Should I, should I go back there? Should I stay here or just really unsettled? And this is what we find with Paul in this story. Maybe you've experienced the same thing of what should I do? Should I stay here? Should I go? Even though the advice of friends would say, hey, do this. And Paul, and like me, I would say the same thing. I felt like God was saying, no, I want you here. And so this is where we find Paul. He's like, I know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. But in the story today, in the scripture, it's just 16 verses. I'm going to be quick and then make some application. Hopefully that will apply to your life right now. Because every time we read the word, we should be looking for application. This is a living, breathing word of God. And it applies to our life. So every time we read a story in here, we need to say, God, what's the application for us? And there's many applications. I'm just going to choose a two or three. So if, you, if you're able to stand, we're going to read Acts 21, 1 through 16. I might offer a little bit of commentary along Uh, along the way here so um, i won't have you stand too long get my my glasses on here all right verse 1 of chapter 21 says this and when we had parted by the way the niv says and when we had torn ourselves away from them that's how close the relationship was again so he's talking to the ephesian elders he's leaving and when we had parted from them and set sail we we came by a straight course to coast and the next day to roads And from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left side. You hear the detail that Luke gives here. He puts it as we left it on the left side there. We sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples in that place there, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They had sought the Spirit. And the Spirit says, it's going to be some bad things that go on. So they tell him, don't go to Jerusalem, verse 5. And when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, the whole family, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the bench, uh, on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Tomais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. Well, they were, just got one day with them. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with them. By the way, Philip, as we read right there, you remember Philip? It's in chapter 6, and they couldn't get all the work done. They were looking for some, some people who could do it and get it done, some godly men, and so Philip was one of them. I preached here sometime in the fall, I don't remember, October, November, on Acts 8, 26-40. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you all remember that? Or maybe you were sleeping when I was preaching that day. I don't know. But you remember the story? Philip woke up that morning, and God and the Spirit said to him, Hey, you're going to go down to this desert road. You don't know anything else. Just go there. And God had orchestrated for that Ethiopian eunuch to be coming at that point. Philip shared the gospel, explained the, the Isaiah to him. That guy came to faith, and you know there's... it's. It's widely believed among tons of scholars, theologians, a lot smarter than any of us probably in the room. Maybe not you. But um, that, that the work that started in Ethiopia was because of that un, the Ethiopian unit. Philip led the Lord. And now there are churches in Ethiopia because of this right here. Because Philip, just an ordinary guy in the church, said yes and was obedient to do what the Spirit said to him. Which is a good word for all of us. He was obedient to the Spirit when it didn't even make sense. So this is Philip. What verse am I on? I just lost my place. Philip, uh, verse 8, he was one of the seven. He stayed with them. Verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus. Agabus. What a great name. We shall call him Agabus. It's a beautiful name. He came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Lord, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem, will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing? You're weeping? You're breaking my heart. For I'm, for I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, Paul would not be persuaded. We ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. All right, you can have a seat. So there's 16 verses, 16 verses. And Paul has a decision to make, right? He's going to Jerusalem, and he's got to go. And we already know from Scripture that he has already heard from the Spirit about what is awaiting him in Jerusalem. And it's not good things. There ain't no Chick-fil-A there waiting on him, chicken sandwich. Well, it sounds good today, doesn't it? Or whatever, go to Saltgrass. It was none of that. It was not what the Spirit said to him. It's going to be a great time, Paul. No, in fact, what he said in chapter 20, and I think it was 22 and 23, he said this, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained or compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me. I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except this. This Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul knows what's coming for him, that it's not going to be good. And yet he says very clearly in the scripture, no matter what anybody says to him, the Spirit has said so clearly him, it is not going to go well with you there. But yet I'm calling you to go to that place. You think about the perspective of a few people in this story. It's just 16 verses. It's just a quick story. But Paul, he knows what his mission is. If there's anybody in the Word, I mean, obviously, we look at Jesus, and he's the model, right? We look at the New Testament and go, he's the model. He was the model for Paul. But when I look away from G, or not away from him, but I, I consider someone else in Scripture, and I look at Paul, and I see his zeal for the Lord and his commitment to him, this, this relationship he has with God to say, it doesn't matter what happens to me. Whether I live or die, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm zoned in on you. I'm focused. My eyes are fixed on you. Man, Paul is one to look to with our own lives. And no matter what you do for a living or where you are, where you find yourself, Paul and his life and his zeal for the Lord is something we all should aim to be like. Because we see that in him. He knows what's coming for him. It's not going to be good. It's going to be a lot of bad things are going to happen to me. I'm going to be thrown in prison. And affliction, I don't know, affliction, that's pretty bad, isn't it? Somebody going, I don't know what all affliction that means, but affliction, I don't like to hear that word. I'm going to have some affliction? Well, I'm probably like, I don't think I want to do that. But Paul is dead set on doing what God wants him to do. Think about the Christians in Tyre. You're in Syria. He goes there, and they hear from the Lord. They feel like from the Spirit. It says, what awaits Paul is is affliction and persecution, imprisonment, and there are and they're, they're thinking that, probably like any of us. Like, well, dude, don't, you don't need to do that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't go and do that. I think you should probably maybe not do that. <clears throat> so you have their perspective. Then you have the, the believers in Caesarea. Um, and you got a, this guy from Agabus. Beautiful name, Agabus. He comes down and he does what an Old Testament like prophet would do. And, and, and pulls the, the, the belt off of his robe. And the robe would not be like yours, your bathrobe at home, where you're just you know, chilling with your coffee and one tie. This is a robe that the belt would tie around several times. And what Agabus does is he demonstrates for, for Paul, I'm trying to picture the scene, but the people all around, and he's showing him exactly what the Spirit has said to him or what's going to happen to him. You're going to be tied up. You're, you're going to be in prison. Some bad things are going to happen to you. And yet with that... As we, with that demonstration, just think about that actually happening. And he takes his belt off and ties him up. Says, that's what's going to happen to you, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem. What would you do? I'd be, I might pause for a moment and go, that's, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if I want to do that. And Agapus is like, that's what I'm telling you. That's what the Spirit says to me. That's what's going to happen to you. And yet, we see with Paul, he says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm going, I'm going. The other person in the story is Luke, the writer. And Luke actually includes himself in this. If you caught that, he says, we encouraged him not to go. We did. Luke says, you shouldn't go. And yet Paul says, I've got to go. I, I've got to do this. I, I've got to go to do this. I've got to follow God's will. And it reminded me as I was studying this even yesterday thinking about this. Um, and I read some commentary on this, but um, it, it's very similar to another story. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, right? And he's saying, "God, I, God says you're going to the cross. That's where you're going to die. This is the plan." And Jesus says, "But I, basically, I can you I, can you let this pass for me? I, but not my will, but yours." This some commentators would say this is Paul's Gethsemane moment that he's saying, "I don't, I don't really want to go and be afflicted. I don't want to have persecution, but." But God, that's what you want, and you've made it clear that's what I'm to do. And so Paul steps out and does this. And so you have this story of Paul knowing what's coming for him and people telling him not to do this. And yet, and people who are godly people who have felt like they've heard from the Spirit to say, don't do this, Paul. It's going to be bad for you. And yet Paul says, no, I'm constrained. I, I'm, I'm, you know what constrained means? Like just a, almost like you have to do this. I am so compelled that I have to do this. So that's the story. and That's what we hear and what we read this morning. And so what in the world could we take from just that story right there? And I think um, there's a bunch of application for us. Anytime we read the Bible, by the way, um, this is the living, breathing word of God, right? Y'all hear me? And maybe some of us need to hear this. I, need to, I said this in the earlier service. It's a word for me as well. I need to be in this more. I need to realize that more. I need, I need more love for it. God, give me more love for your word that when I read a story in Acts and go, wow, that's really that's amazing what happened there and really ponder it, meditate on it, consider it and then say this question, God, what would you, what, what's the application for my life right now? And there are a number of things that I can come from, just from this. But some of us, we don't even get in the word. We, just to be honest, you, you haven't even been in the word, let's say for some of us in the room. You haven't been in the word. You got your verse of the day on your phone, and it's, you got 30 seconds there of reading it, and then that's all the word of God that you get, and then you expect God to do amazing things in your life. Or you, maybe that's what you hope, but yet you're never in the word. I'm praying, God, give me more desire for your word. So that when I read a story like this, I don't just pack it up and go, okay, on with my day. But I say, God, what is it you would say to me this morning? And as I looked at this, and again, yesterday and really all week, I had a procedure on Friday to get a shot, a big old horse needle put in my spine because of my neck. I need a new back if somebody knows where I can get one. Um, so I didn't prepare as much until a lot yesterday. But I'm, I'm looking at Scripture and going, man, God, what's, what is it that you want to say to me through this? Not just for all of you, but first, God, what do you want to say to me? Here's what I just came up with. The first one, if you'll notice, um, it's not, I mean, it's obvious. If you read the scripture at all, Paul loves the people he serves, doesn't he? In fact, he says it in 1 Thessalonians, I think it's first 2, 8. He says, we didn't just come to share the gospel with you, but we came to share our very lives with you because you have become so dear to us. And you see that all throughout this passage right here, as well as in chapter 20. When he meets with the elders in, in Miletus, they, he has to tear himself away from them. You, have you ever had a point where you had to say goodbye to somebody? Sometimes that's like, bye, get out, um, and it ain't no big deal. But sometimes there are, there are times in your life when you're like, I just, it hurts when they leave. I just don't want you to leave. That's the picture of what we find here. And we see it again and again and again and again with Paul that he had become so dear to people um, that it was difficult for him to leave. And he told the, the Ephesians, he's like, I'm never gonna see you again. So it was even that much worse. But when we see Paul, we see that he loves people dearly. This seems so simple and so, I don't know. It's just so basic. As a believer, um, to love people, to, to, to treat them in a way that they're better than you, but to, to love them in a way, I think John Piper says this, to find people interesting. I've heard him say it many times. Find people interesting. Your neighbor, people you work with, to love them in a way that other people in the world don't love them To love your enemy. All those things that Jesus says, that's what we're called to do as believers, right? So the person you can't stand, you're actually called to love them. And love is action, right? To serve them. But in this passage, when I think about Paul, it's like, he's got people around him that he does love and he cares for. They're not enemies. So he loves them. But more than that, and this is so simple, I know, but this is application for us. We love God even more and we trust him even more. We trust him even more. We love him more. And we value other people, obviously. And that's part of our calling. But in the end, we're like, God, I love you more. The second point I'd, I'd just make application for us today is this. That, that, yes, you love people. You value people. Absolutely. But ultimately, you follow God's will. You follow his will. And I hope this, And just as a word for all of us, I hope your closest friends, It's not even in my notes. This one didn't charge you anything for any of this, nor no one would pay for this anyway. But anyway, this is for free. Your closest friends, just as a by the way, your closest, tightest friends should be believers who know Jesus and who are pushing you to know him in a deeper way. Okay? I'm not saying don't be friends with non-believers. You should be, absolutely. You should be there to share the gospel and live that out before them, be an encouragement. But your closest, tightest friends should be people who really push you to know Jesus and hold you accountable and make you want to be more and more like him. So if that's not in your friend group and that's not true for you, maybe it's a reevaluation this morning. You, go, you know what? I need to seek out and be closer friends with people who will push me to know more and more um, of who Jesus is. But value other people's input, but ultimately, you're going to follow God's will. But there are going to be times when following God may seem foolish. In fact, when we moved to Arizona and to help plant that church, it seemed a little bit foolish to a few friends of mine. Who said, why are you going to, you're going to spend a year there? What good is that going to do? I said, I don't know, but God's called me to do it. God's called me to do it. I want you to think about this. The reason we're in this room right now ultimately is God. Okay, let's just be honest. God brought us here. What happened in Acts? The reason we're here is because of what happened in Acts. But I want you to remember the beginning of this church 10 years ago, and he would not want to take the credit for this, <laughs> but when we're obedient to God and we follow what he wants, he gets glory, okay? So we're going to give God the glory for this. But Ryan Ross and Laurel were obedient to the calling that God had placed on their life to plant a church. And the, re- and the reason we're here today is because he said yes, and so they said yes to this. Just think about that. Two weeks ago, I think we had 19 people who were baptized. We've had so many people through the years. I didn't even hardly even know Ryan back at that time. Uh, when the, We came the first two weeks, but didn't really know. And then we left for Arizona. We came back, and God led us here. And I look and go, man, Ryan could have done any number of things. He'd had a business. It could, could have made a ton more money. But yet the calling of God on his life to just say, I am calling you to plant a church Not knowing the future, but taking a risk going, I don't know how this is all going to work out. But I can't not do this. That I'm constrained by the Spirit. I'm compelled by the Spirit. That the city in Melissa and the people in the surrounding communities need a church there. And God, you've called me and so I'm going to step out in faith. And because of that, we see that. Sometimes when we follow God's will, it seems foolish. It seems, what in the world are you doing? And yet God so often calls us to do things that do not make sense. I want you to think about, I could read all kinds of stuff, stories of people, but Adonai and Judson, y'all know this guy? He was a Baptist missionary who had a desire to go to Burma, present-day Myanmar, and north of Thailand. Y'all need a map on that? I'm not going to show you a map. Um, so it's a close country. It's uh, people who never even heard of who Jesus is. That's who he went to. He labored for 38 years, suffering through cholera, malaria, dysentery, and unknown Miseries that would claim the lives of his first wife and his second wife and seven of his 13 kids. And he served 38 years there because the calling of God on his life. To be obedient to the calling of God to say no matter what it cost. No matter my doubts and my frustrations with you, God, no matter the fact that you won't answer this prayer to save my children or to save my wife, I'm staying here because of the calling of God on his life. And today, it's estimated at least 4,000 congregations are there right now because of his obedience and his wife's obedience to stay there. And now over a half a million people who've come to faith because of one one family and their obedience to just follow God and follow him and his calling on their life. Let me ask you this as I wrap up. I'm going to run out of time. I want to get to my questions, though. When's the last time? I want you to think about this personally. When's the last time you risked something on behalf of your relationship with Christ because your walk with him is so strong? When's the last time you said, I'm going to take a risk for you, God? When's the last time you stepped out and said, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I'm going to risk doing something for you? And it could have been something in a relationship it could have been something in your finances. Some of us, we, 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 don't, we only spend money on ourselves, And if there's a little bit left over, we decide to give a little bit. My Brothers and sisters, let me tell you. When you come to Jesus, he says you give it all to him. It's all of you, everything you have. You release ownership of everything. We, we come and say, I'm going to risk it all to follow you, Jesus. I've mentioned this before. I know a few years ago when I preached, but no, y'all don't remember. You remember what I said 10 minutes from now? You'll forget what I said. Okay, but Erwin McManus in his book, the Barbarian Way, he says that it has stuck with me for years. And he says this, God's optimal desire for you is not that you would, uh, let, me, let me make sure I get it. I want to read it. Somewhere, I'm sorry, I just, I just messed this whole thing up. God's optimal desire for you is not to insulate us where we risk nothing, where we sacrifice nothing, where we lose nothing where we worry about nothing. You hear me? His optimal desire for you is not to insulate you from a life where you never have to worry about anything or that you never have to risk anything or you never have to lose anything. It's a lie from the enemy. I think we do it a service to people who come to faith. We need to be up front and say, to come to Jesus, it's a call to come and die. It's a call to come and die so that you can live. It's not just to get to heaven. You don't find that anywhere in this book. You will not find that. You find people who say, like all those in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith who gave their lives and said, No matter the cost, no matter whatever it is, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, because I deem you to be worthy of my life. That you're worthy of my life in every way, and all my plans, and my dreams, all the future, everything. It's all yours. Where you want me to live? How you want me to spend my money? How you want me to raise my kids? Where you want me to work? Where you want me to go to church? God, it's all yours. My life is yours. And his optimal desire for you, actually, is that you would come, just like he says. You come every day. You die to yourself. And you lay yourself down and say, God, my life is yours. My life is yours. And so let me ask you again, when's the last time you evaluate your life right now, when's the last time you risked something for him? When's the last time you were so compelled by the Spirit moving in your life that you could not do something? I'm so compelled, I'm constrained by the Spirit that I've got to share the gospel with this friend. I'm so compelled by the Spirit. so compelled that I can't not give so generously to this. We're doing 30 days of prayer right now. And I hope you're doing that. But the spirit of God, if if you're doing that, you're walking with him. Man, the spirit compels us to take action for him, to take risks for him. One thing, and as I wrap up very quickly, you guys know that we're planting a church. Our church is a part of planting another church in the area. I didn't even know Rob just, I don't know, about a year ago. probably a year ago, I didn't meet, I didn't know Rob. I had no idea. And the plans that we had at this church, and I don't want to go into the whole story. You've heard some of it. But I didn't know what, what this was going to look like. I didn't, I didn't know it. Um, we thought we were going somewhere else. Pat Knight and I, Pat got cancer. Plans changed. And like, God, what are you up to? And God was, as you said, Rob, earlier, God's always up to something. He's always, you may not know about it, but he's up to something. And God was up to something. Me, Rob, and then Grace Church coming along, wanting to plant an Anna. Here we are. We want to plant a church together with them to plant over there. Guys, we're doing this. We are all doing this. And the 8 and then the the 11 are going to do this. Along with the 930, we're going to do this together. But some of us are like, man, I don't want to do that because that's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. And yet, when I read scripture and God calls us to relationship with him, we see again and again and again people who risk. People who say, I will step out in faith. I'm going to step out in faith and trust him. We don't know how all this is going to work. We don't know. But we're going, to, we're going to trust him. And here's what I'm challenging you even this morning. I don't know what it is. It could be about the church plant, the resurrection church. There will be people in Anna that will not come here, but they will go there. And they will hear about Jesus. And they will give their life to Christ because there's a church being planted there. Could it be that God might call you to be a part of that? And that long after you and I are all gone, we're all dead and gone, this church will be here still proclaiming the gospel. And people will be coming to Jesus. There will be baptisms, sir, There will be 19, be 30 people on a Sunday giving a life to Christ. And we will all be dead. But the gospel continues to go on. And Jesus is being made much of. And none of us knows. Our, no one will remember our names. Big deal. They will know Jesus' name though, right? Ooh, That's going to happen in Anna as well. We will all be dead and gone. And there will be people who will come to faith because of people who said, Yes, I will be obedient. Even if it's just to serve once a month, to come and help serve out there. Or could it be God calls you to serve for a year? I went to Arizona for a year to help plant a church. And God used us in tremendous ways. to saw people come to faith. And God brought us back. Could it be that God might call you to do that? Could it be that God says, I want you to go help plant that church? And you just, who knows what God's going to do. Maybe he'll send a church from that church to another church to plant another one. I don't know. But what I'm asking you to do is, Pray and say, God, what would our role be? Well my role. Could God would you want me to do that? I've gonna have a QR code right there, big as Dallas up there. You can scan that. And just say, I want to be involved, I'm gonna be interested. I'm not committing to anything. But why would you not want to do that to say, we're gonna plant a church in that area? I wanna be a part of that in some way. And to see people come to faith in Jesus. The same Jesus you know, they don't know him yet. And you get to be a part of introducing the gospel to them and it being rooted in their life and it could change their whole family. Mm. Who didn't want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be that and say, Jesus, I don't live this humdrum life and do nothing. Just go about doing the, go through the motions. Good grief. God, I want to do something for you. I want to risk my life for you because you're worth it in every way. You're worth it. He's worth it every person in Hebrews 11 and every person I had on this sheet, all these people who've given their life, every one of them, even if it cost them their life, would tell you and tell me this morning, he is worth following. He's worth following. God, Lord, help us all. He's worth following. Help me to see that, God, that I would give my life new and fresh right now at 1027 to you again and say, God, here's my life. I give it to you again because you are worth it. He's worthy of your life this morning. He's worthy of your life. So give him, give him it again, maybe for the first time, but give him your life and know that he can be trusted and he's faithful, faithful, not so that everything's going to work out perfectly in your life, but faithful in this sense that he'll never leave you in the midst of your storms, in your life, whatever's coming your way or whatever you're in right now, he says, I'll walk with you through it and you can trust him no matter what. All right, I'm out of time. Sorry for taking too much time. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. Thank you, God, for our time this morning, Lord. Thank you for your word and even a simple story and act, how it can just mm, can motivate, convict, can encourage. I pray, God, that you've done that this morning with all these folks in this room. And for me personally, God, thank you for doing that, even as I've spoken, Lord. We love you. Uh, we praise you, God. You're worth living for. You're worth our lives. We we'll give them to you again today, God. We pray it all in Jesus' name. The Lord is good Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, you say